Hi, and welcome to the Religion and Story podcast with your hosts, Stephen, Daniel, and Michael Crouch. Well, we need to start off with some breaking news that I think is relevant to all of our listeners. I personally just got back from dinner, and I was checking my receipt as I was about to walk out the door. And let me just inform you, I was at Chick-fil-A. The news, everyone, is that Chick-fil-A has raised their prices. If you are now going to order a number one combo at Chick-fil-A, it went up 20 cents. And if you want to upgrade to a lemonade, like I know I always do, it's another 6 cents. Thus, taking my bill from $6.70 to $6.98 with tax. I don't even know what to do with myself. Do I keep going? Obviously, yes. But, guys... Let's talk about something to help me take my mind off of this just travesty. Well, Stephen, we're sorry that you had to part with that extra quarter, and I hope it goes to a good cause. But um, with this week's podcast, we want to spend a good chunk of our time talking about the recent events, uh, most prominently in Charlottesville, uh, but events that have been happening all over the country in a larger conversation that has needed to happen for years, but in many ways has not happened. Now, of course, this is the issue of race and how Christians should respond to it. So um, with that in mind, it, I'm just going to start by asking some questions. Um, first of all, uh, let me start off by asking, do we think that white Christians in particular understand uh, the depths of the race problem that we have in the United States? Uh, so, Michael, I think that's a great question to start with. It should probably be said that three of us are all white, and we're coming to this discussion from that perspective. And it's important to begin by asking how well uh, do, we, do we know this conversation um, and others in the, the country also coming from similar, same perspective. Uh, so I, I would venture to guess that for most white Christian Americans in the country, that they um, do not fully understand the depths of this issue and um, perhaps the history of the issue, where it's at today, uh, its importance to black Americans and other minorities. And there's just, there's so much going into this that I think that many white Christians are ignorant of, but that is not to say that um, they are completely in the dark, that there aren't um, still other white Christians who uh, are at the forefront of this discussion. Uh, What are y'all's thoughts on that? Well, one of the questions that I'm asking myself is what are these people angry about? The I'm talking about the white supremacist group. What are they uh, trying to protest exactly? I know that there's monuments uh, that are being <clears throat> proposed to be taken down. There is also just the complete left-wing side of politics where whites as a, a race or an ethnic group are losing their favorability. Now, is that something to be mad about? Well, if that is what is valuable to you, then that is what you're going to uh, be upset about. 
Now, how are they handling it? Violence or any sort of supremacy against your own fellow man is obviously something that we can disagree with and not condone and not associate ourselves with in any way. Yeah, so Stephen, I think you're hitting on a lot of big issues there. Um, so one is uh, the is asking the question, what what are white supremacists uh, reacting to? Um, and then you're uh, you mentioned the specifically the idea that uh, white Americans are now, even though they still maintain the majority and demographics for the, for the country that they are now being marginalized or um, because of perhaps things like affirmative action that they are actually being disadvantaged. Um, and then uh, you also mentioned about violence as a suitable reaction. And I think all three of those are um, great topics for us to talk about. But the, I, I think that you've already started this off by pointing out just how big and pervasive this issue is. And there's a lot of questions that goes into it. Um, if I can specifically address maybe uh, your first question of what is it that these white supremacists are reacting to, um, I think that they are showing us an extreme reaction um, to what just many white Americans are also feeling. Um, that we see this in the uh, election of Donald Trump that uh, the, these white supremacists, while they are certainly more radical, are actually uh, dealing with sympathetic ideas for what many of the voter base for half the country, for many Republicans and conservatives that are also sympathizing with the idea that you said, Stephen, that um, whites are becoming more marginalized as we try to make up for injustice for minorities. I was going to say that when, at least on the, the news, that these people are being associated with conservatives in politics just because they have the association of those that are backing Trump and saying that they, or they back Trump, they like Trump, they think that Trump is on their side, and then we have the whole uh, controversy with Trump not denouncing them off the, uh, the get-go, which he later uh, did a couple days later. But this means that this group of people are also claiming that um, they are part of Christian America that they, and they will quickly back that uh, America was founded on Christian values. And that is something that definitely concerns me because they're claiming to have the same belief system that I do, yet they are being a poor or horrible example of if they're actually going to claim that, then they need to be living a, a Christian lifestyle and not just trying to say we need to make America Christian again and saying things like we need to get rid of Muslims. That is not what a Christian should be saying. And so, again, that's why I would say that we cannot associate ourselves with these people and condone them or the whole thing of denouncing their vote as far as politics is concerned is a necessity. And Stephen, I think that's why you've immediately uh, surpassed Trump in many people's eyes because you, uh, at the very beginning, denounced their actions. Well done. Crouch 2020. <laughs> I need a, a running mate so we can make it Crouch Crouch 2020. Uh, I'm not 35 years old yet, so it doesn't really matter. Um, so. <laughs> So let's, let's put this forward. Um, 
I th- two, two things. First of all, I don't think that there's any Christian organization that would claim uh, white nationalists, KKK members, neo-Nazis, uh, you know, white nationalists. I'm, you know, go, go down your list of these racist organizations, these racist groups. No church would claim these people yet. I would imagine that a uh, a sizable number of the people that were represented at these protests probably sit in church pews every once in a while. Maybe not often. I, you know, I don't know. There, there is there. I don't think that there is polling information out there that would allow us to know this. Mostly because these groups are extremely small, and some uh, members of the media that that I respect have actually had trouble uh, in their minds about this. Uh, some people from Vice News were on Charlie Rose the other night, and he asked them the question, you know, by highlighting uh, these people, giving them a voice, interviewing them, do you feel like you're magnifying what is really an extremely small minority group? And they said, yeah, we, we, we've thought about this, that there aren't that many of these people, and by allowing them to have a voice in the media, we're actually allowing them to do a bit of recruiting. That said, it's still the job of those in the media to to show this hatred and to show how how wrong it is. Um, to, to let the truth shine a light on on these groups. Um, one one other quick point. Um, something that we said earlier um, that I, I don't think we should. We should say that it's just what other people are saying, but the idea that whites are being marginalized um, for any of our minority listeners that might be listening to this podcast, you, you might laugh at that saying, you know, how can you possibly say that whites are being uh, marginalized? That's nothing compared to what minorities have gone through in the past. Well, um, that's that's a good point. Uh, I, I think when people say that whites are being marginalized, they're only saying relative to, to their place of prominence in the past. Um, for individuals, when they lose their jobs, when their communities are falling apart, that's what promotes these fears and senses of anger. Yeah, so Michael, I think those are all um, great points. And that, that makes me think uh, perhaps we should steer the conversation towards um, something that is more more relevant or showing a larger portion of America. Not Nazi Nazis are evil. Everyone knows that, and so Good. it's easy for everyone. <laughs> it's easy for everyone um, when they're looking at this story about things going on in Charlottesville, and uh, that uh, when neo Nazis come up and racists come up. Those are two things that are almost universally condemned, and so everyone can agree on that. Um, but I think there is uh, some level of debate when you go a little bit further, and perhaps that's what we should um, steer our attention to. So one one issue is uh, about like the the Robert E. Lee statue, um, which I think was the catalyst for a lot of this. Um, and I know uh, Malcolm Gladwell uh, actually did one of his revisionist history podcasts about a similar thing at Princeton. Michael, you may know more about that, about taking off uh, the names of people who were racist because of how it affects people at that campus, taking their names off of buildings. This Robert E. Lee statue is a similar situation. 
in, including uh, Woodrow Wilson, president from 1912 to 1920, who um, until very recently, uh, his racist past was not very well known amongst uh, most people. Sorry, uh, forgive my, my ignorance. Are those dates his presidency of the university? The, the United States. Uh, yeah, he was the president of Princeton before that. Okay. And, um, and then another uh, debate that will also be there will be a greater split on, and that's not as universal as hating Nazis, is how do you react to such uh, brazen hatred and wrongdoing? If everyone can agree that Nazis are uh, evil and they are inciting hatred and even violence, um, what is the appropriate way to react to them? Are, is it within our Christian rights or even our Christian duty to respond with violence to them? Those are some of the questions I think that are worth asking. Well, to be honest, my initial reaction was both of these groups of people that are showing up in Charlottesville are the complete, you know, polar opposite ends of the spectrum. And I just, you know, grabbed my popcorn, sat in front of my computer and just watched the whole thing unfold. Um, I don't want to get us off on too much of a tangent, but I have two questions that I want to raise. And so I guess I'll start with tossing a softball question for you. Stephen, before you go on, so I'm not a left-wing person by any means. Um, I I voted for the libertarian candidate in this past election because I can't stand Donald Trump. But, but, I know, I know. what what is your issue with the the I'm using air quotes here the left wing people uh, that were there the, the counter protesters? At least what we were seeing uh, through the media, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there were just normal people out there protesting Nazis, but the ones that the media are portraying are the ones that are very heavily in favor of the LBGTQ uh, community and that whole agenda. There, I mean, you didn't really see too many. Uh, black people out there, maybe because they were afraid for their own lives, but the most people that you saw protesting were white people. And usually when you see that, at least my first uh, reaction was that it was people that are at least associated with the LBGTQ community. Sure. So um, so you generally stand against the cause that, that they are associated with. I think, though, that to the extent that any person, no matter what group they're a part of, wants to stand against uh, fascist, neo-Nazi, I mean, we don't have to go through the list again, but at that point, it really doesn't matter what group you're a part of. Um, and this is one, one of the things that Trump got in, in trouble for. Um, you know, we can talk about the differences that we have with all of the groups that we're going against these white nationalists. Um, I think it's best, whether it's rhetorically or your actual political stances, just to let those go to the side for a minute. Um, that there is one group that should be denounced first um, as as the one that is that is promoting hate. Uh, not promoting some ideas that are against our own. And um, one thing that Trump tried to say is that both sides were violent. Well, one side had one individual that went so far as to actually kill someone at the event. 
Um, so whether or not there, it, sure, there's videotapes of, of fights going back and forth. I think we, we have to remove ourselves from trying to pick winners and lo losers within this small group of people that gathered for protest and speak more against the, the larger movements um, that are at the, the root cause of this. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, just their uh, their worldview or view of people in general is just you cannot condone it. Um, so going to the uh, the question, I'll, like I said, I'll uh, start you uh, off with a, a little bit of a softball question. And I want to ask, do you think softball players get offended that their sport <laughs> is associated with being Very easy? easy? Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's all right. Good. So first one thing I'll ask is, what is really the the difference between national pride and a pride with one's ethnic group. I mean, because you look at the Olympics and it's putting one country up against another, and most commonly those are associated with different ethnic groups. I think where we should go go for this is to, to differentiate uh, some type of sports competition uh, as being one thing versus another where the arena is life and death or even setting our national interest above those of the other groups, whether it's another Christian group or another pagan group. Um, Tim Keller, in an article that he put out after uh, the Charlottesville uh, protest, uh, pointed to the idea that Jonah put his own national interest uh, the, the national interest of Israel ahead of the spiritual good of the racial other groups, the, the racial others that lived in Nineveh. It's one thing to promote uh, promote your sports team. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of my local sports team trying to beat another sports team. It's another thing to put uh, spiritual good, you know, to try to put someone down spiritually or physically uh, you know, their very lives being worth less uh, than your own purely based off, well, really based off of anything, uh, that type of behavior or idea should be condemned. Yeah, I completely agree, Michael. I, I did want to add, I, I think th this differentiation is often made with patriotism and nationalism. So uh, with patriotism, it's the idea of being proud of your country. Um, while with nationalism, uh, it's the idea of uh, putting your country um, above other countries at the expense of these other countries. Um, and there, there's a lot more that goes into nationalism, obviously. But the, the idea sort of correlates with racial pride as well. Um, so it's okay to be proud of your race or your cultural background or something uh, like that. But when it uh, comes at the expense or the neglect of other races or groups, then that's when it starts to become a problem. Um, but I think that goes right. exactly or, or, with what you were saying, Mike. Or even giving an unfair advantage. You know, So if I wanted to um, make the rules so that uh, another group would be destined to failure, if I wanted to exclude uh, another group from resources purely because they're a different, they are different than me. Um, I love it. I mean, that's just taking away freedom. So clearly, yeah. 
I'm, I'll pull out the teacher's answer key. And so really what I was thinking that you guys, you guys took it a little bit different direction, but I think it's kind of a related. Uh, I was going to say that the difference is that you can take it to a level of hate. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing with the actions in Charlottesville. Uh, so let's say the Poles and the Germans, they're rivals uh, from uh, from a historical standpoint. And when they are faced off in a soccer game, or the Olympics, whatever it is, they have a genuine hate for each other. And that is where it goes from a healthy competition, which you would see between, you know, two random countries paired against each other. They don't they're going to be patriotic, like you said, but there's no hate between them. And so once once the hate gets uh, put into the situ the whole situation, that's when it becomes at least unchristian at that point. Um, there's a lot of teams I don't like as far as, uh, you know, be because they have beaten my favorite team, but I'm not going to take it to or past the point of healthy competition. So second question I want to ask, and uh, maybe this is a conversation for another time, but the violence that's going on, is there ever a time to resort to violence to defend what you think is right? So, yeah, we were, um, I mentioned this uh, a similar idea earlier, um, and I'll respond, and Michael, you obviously have something that you want to say. I think this issue obviously has cor or correlates with just one's uh, pre-existing or their ideas already about violence and war and things of that nature. So if someone's a pacifist, that already answers the question for them. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to add beyond that, that this question is also informed by a sense of practicality in that uh, not resorting to violence to answer um, someone else's call to violence, someone who's calling others to hatred and violence. Um, if we don't answer them with violence, uh, then uh, I think there is reason to believe that that begins to shut down their network. Um, and that uh, makes them less successful and they aren't able to call others in as well. Well, Daniel, to follow up on your comments on, on pacifism, I personally have a poster on my wall of Captain America hitting a Nazi in the nose. So you know how I feel about it. Um, I, I think that the best response that we can have is not to post something on social media. It's not to increase awareness of the situation. We should just assume that most people are aware of what, what went on. And also, most likely, most of your friends are not white nationalists. So by posting something on Facebook or Twitter, you're not changing anyone's mind. By us releasing this podcast, we're not changing anyone's mind. But the way that we respond to this hatred um, is a little different than the way we would respond to normal terrorism. You remember after 9-11... George Bush said that the way that we beat terrorists is to go on living our normal lives, to let them know that they haven't defeated the way that we live. I think that the way we defeat white nationalism actually does require us to live our lives a little differently. Um, for instance, 
I think that it calls us to have tighter unity within the church with our minority brethren. Um, sometimes there's a language barrier that might not allow two uh, congregations to worship together, but certainly if there's a white congregation in your town and a black congregation in your town, there's no reason for there not to be fellowship between those two groups. And perhaps even over the course of time, those two congregations can merge together. Uh, so, of course, those are big, long-term goals. But I think that's part of the way that we fight back against this hateful ideology. Now, specifically on the Robert E. Lee statue, um, I am in favor of communities being able to decide whether or not they want a statue in their town square. In Bentonville, Arkansas, there is a statue to Confederate soldiers, which is embarrassing to a lot of the people that live there. And I think that if a majority of the people of a town want to remove a statue from, from the center of town, not a private residence, not a museum, not a battlefield, but from something that is considered to be owned by the city, then a simple majority should be able to remove it. Um, now, what President Trump said was, well, if you take away Robert E. Lee, does it? do we then go on to removing statues of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson? And what a lot of people – so it, it was kind of funny that uh, the, the liberal response – to that, um, you had Stephen Colbert on one hand saying, no, we only removed the statues of people that openly rebelled against America. But on the other hand, you had uh, the Weekend Update people from Saturday Night Live, also liberals, who said, yeah, we get rid of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson too. I think that we have to, first of all, um, not be so attached to monuments uh, that we hate people over it, that we uh, lose friendships over it. But uh, from a practical policy perspective, I would say that um, we try to assign monuments to the places where they're most necessary. Uh, anyone who has a war monument, we should try to place those monuments close to battlefields, close to the places where that story can be told. We shouldn't uh, wash away history. Uh, we should actually deal with the struggles that we had. Um, as far as George Washington and Thomas Jefferson go, part, part of the plaque that they have, there should be perhaps one line that is devoted to the sins uh, that they had, those things that we know that they did wrong. But at the same time, that's what I was going to come in and say sure. is that you you cannot find a single person that has a statue that did not create uh, commit some obvious sin that is uh, condemned by society. Maybe we don't need statues my, then. Well, think about it. I mean, Michael Jordan was my go to example. He is a known adulterer and. Nobody's going to complain about having his statue up because they are recognizing his basketball brilliance. It's a gambling and, problem, too. Sure. I, we can just go on and on about how Michael Jordan uh, does not deserve a statue because of all of his problems. But why does he have the statue? Because he was a good basketball player. Why does Robert E. Lee have a statue? So, okay, so let's go on with that for a second. Why? And uh, 538 put together a good graph about this the other day. 
um, where they they basically put on a timeline when all of these uh, Civil War, specifically Confederate monuments, were being erected. A lot of the monuments were being uh, put into place around 1910. And some people would say, oh, those, that's the beginning of Jim Crow laws. I think that that's actually a little late. I would read that as a lot of uh, the generation that knew those people wanting to erect a monument so that their memory wouldn't be lost. However, there was also a surge in Confederate monuments being erected in the 1960s. Now, there's two possible reasons for that. Some people could say, oh, it's the 100-year anniversary. It's the centennial um, anniversary of when the Civil War occurred. But I would say more than likely there are racist roots to those monuments uh, that were erected in the 1960s. And I would say... It's very, very possible. Right. In any any uh, information that we're able to know about the history of those monuments should play into whether or not uh, we maintain those monuments. Start yeah. investigating who was paying those tax dollars. Yeah. Um, I, I was also going to add, um, I, I assume there are others who are in the same boat as me, who um, I, until like this week, was under the impression, or I had always learned that Robert E. Lee was sort of a noble figure, um, that he begrudgingly joined the Confederates, that he actually sympathized I've heard that as well. greatly with the Union. And, me three. Uh, he's just a, a great overall leader and commendable in those ways. Um but uh, I was uh, pointed to some research uh, this last week that shows that a, a lot of that, um, and obviously I'm no historian, but this seemed to suggest that a lot of that is, like Michael said, um, was sort of the uh, lionization of Robert E. Lee uh, post hoc by um, Southern sympathizers. Um, and so I think that also Michael gave the, the better reason, but I just wanted to add this on there as well, that with those other leaders, um, when we look back at them, we do still see a degree of nobility to them. Um, but perhaps after we wash away some of the gilding that we, we see that um, Lee maybe does not stand that same test of time. Um, see, I, I was also wanting to, to lead us back to a question we asked earlier, um, and that was just how um, how how does this whole situation reflect uh, American culture at large? So we've we've said multiple times that yeah, uh, neo Nazis, fascists are a minority, um, KKK members are a minority. Um, does does this tell us anything about? American culture that we should actually care about, um, about uh, more people. Well, it affected America enough that three brothers decided to make a lame podcast about <laughs> it. Um, I will also say, like, in the past, if you didn't have social media as big as it is, this would have just hit the news and nobody would have, I don't think you would have had the counter protest. Uh, as large as it was, first of all. And I think this would have quickly been forgotten, but social media, as soon as they got a hold of it and the counter-protest built up and the death occurred, there's no stopping it at that point. So as, as we're getting close to wrapping this up, 
we need to ask ourselves the question, what, what is the way forward? Um, how, how do we, how should our listeners encourage those around them? Um, not that we can go out and change the minds of uh, white supremacists uh, tomorrow, but what are the steps that our nation can take uh, to see if, to see this evil go away. I'll, I'll start by just taking it to a church level. Why do we have white and black churches? The reason isn't because they were set up in the 60s or whatever as segregated churches. Why do they continue to be that way? Because they still exist. It's 2017. And I'll, my take is that there are cultural differences between whites and blacks and Hispanics and any other ethnic race that you want to throw out there. We need to be more involved with these people, regardless of their cultural differences, and create a community of a church. And once you become that community, your cultures will then blend and you will find new friends with other skin colors. Well said. You know, based off of what we've seen over this past week, I'm I'm not convinced that um, that African Americans feel heard on these issues. Uh, a lot of a lot of what I've seen on, on social media or in the news would just point to the fact that there are two different conversations going on. There's a conversation of how white people react to this and how black people react to this. And I, I think that there should be a united con conversation, and the church is the place for that conversation. Yeah, Michael, I think that's a, a great point. That goes back to what Stephen was saying earlier about right. when, when he um, when he pops in front of the computer eating his popcorn, um, and he sees that the people responding are um, are liberal uh, white um, people, probably well educated, probably. Um, middle upper class um, that are responding to this that's not like, that's good but it's not the best conversation that we can have um, and that's exactly what you're saying is when we bring everyone into this conversation especially those who are being marginalized we learn a lot more um, I also wanted to add a, a, another possibility um, and this brings back uh, Malcolm Gladwell two appearances in one podcast that's a record um he, in, uh, in his book, Blink, um, he talks about the IAT test, I believe, and um, he's making the point, or he talks about this test where you take it and you, it shows you pictures of uh, white and black people and also has, uh, Michael, um, can you correct me? Those tests are largely disproven. Um, they're not, they are not replicable, like. Yes, it did. Like that test was a thing. He reported the results correctly, but the, rep the replicability of those studies is just not any good. So if you have a larger point to make, you should make it. I do have a larger point. So I'm going to go ahead and make it um, and we'll see how much of my details about the IAT makes it in. But um, the idea is um, that people would more closely associate uh, blacks or minorities with negative traits. And one solution that was found to this was uh, showing the people taking this test examples of uh, good and noble um, 
minorities. So uh, if you have just seen a picture or watched a video, perhaps, of, um, of Martin Luther King Jr. right before you take this test, you have a lot more positive feelings um, because a lot of people respect him and universally view him as a noble person, then they, they would do better on these tests. Um, and aside from the test, I think that idea is worth noting of uh, filling our understanding of the world and of culture with uh, more examples of, or of people to look up to that are also happen to be minorities. And I think that will go a long way. Um, that was the, the Oscars, so white controversy and all that stuff. Well, there's, there's more to be said there. I think that actually lends us towards this idea of having uh, black people in movies um, of showing uh, that sort of advancement and success when they're recognized mm-hmm. for what they've done. Well, not, not only do we have Oscars so white, we have ministers so white. Um, if I'm a black person and I go to a congregation and they have five or six ministers seven or eight elders and not a single one's black, I I don't feel like uh, I am welcome at that congregation. And I I fully realize that it is difficult to have a black elder when you don't have black members that can rise to that level. But it's something for congregations to think about. Time for elders part two. (laughs) So... Hopefully what we've done in this podcast is help our listeners to think a little bit about um, about these issues. We haven't solved anything here, but we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to minority communities to continue this conversation and to continue to think uh, deep thoughts on, on these issues. So that's it for today. We'll have a brand new episode for you next week. Check out our blog at religionandstory.wordpress.com and leave us your feedback. See you next time.